Welcome to Meanderings with Trudy. I'm sitting here with Philip Cole, who I've known for, God, Phil, how long has it been? Eight years? Seven years? Eight, maybe 10. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's probably coming on 10. It's probably eight and a half, nine, getting close to 10. Yeah. We, uh, we, started, uh, we started our friendship at um, studying with Angie and Angie Arndt and Peter McGaw at uh, Deep Life Coaching. Um, and now Big Stone House. And so we've, uh, we've studied the Enneagram together by and large, and we just finished a two-year program looking at soul. Angie and, P- Angie and Peter run a program called School for the Soul, and that's what we just wrapped up a little while ago. So uh, Phil and I have a, a history of talking big ideas. Yes. Yeah. And so, I don't know, it seemed kind of right and right and appropriate to to ask you to come along and just sort of show me how joy shows up for you. I mean, we've talked music, we've talked, well, I've heard you talk music. I can't talk music very well, uh, but I've heard you talk music and refer to your art and refer to our dogs. There's all kinds of stuff. So, you know, what comes up for you? I think that for me, where I find the greatest amount of joy, maybe it's even a bit of surprise. It's in, yeah, it's in being surprised. It takes me back, if you will, to um, our last class, our last meeting with Peter and Angie and the rest of our classes, School for the Soul. We had earlier on other meetings and earlier uh, occasions been talking about things like peace, faith, love, and hope. And I remember how I got stuck on hope and how I was having a completely different vibe on that than the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. But then when you ask about joy, it was like, ah, I got a lot of joy to that meeting because you guys all were sharing feedback and understanding and life experiences to give me context and I was like, ah, interesting. So there I found joy in understanding something about other people that I didn't really understand before, but I also have this joy in finding out something about myself that I didn't really understand before. Mm. And maybe that's part of where, um, why I love being a designer. I was looking at uh, making some updates to my website that I built about two years ago. And one of the things I had forgotten that I had written, and it reminded me sort of of who I am and why I get up in the morning, again, sort of a certain aspect of joy. What I really, really love about being a designer is that I I find there is this certain sense of conscious energy or consciousness, whatever you call it, um, God, soul, whatever word you use. But when I'm working on trying to discover or invent or find what might be the best creative idea, it sort of has a meditative process where it's about letting go, shutting down, and actually not trying to concentrate. It may take hours. It might take days. It may take weeks. But I just truly, truly, truly love, love, love when it happens is when that idea falls out of the sky, hits your brain, and you're like, oh, (laughs) it's perfect. That's exactly it. Yeah, and I really did. I really didn't do it. It just sort of landed. But B, it's that sort of that connection, that consciousness collaboration that is just such a high for me. So that's my biggest joy when I can do that. Mm-hmm. That's what I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about flow. I, I've had opportunity to speak with a couple of other artists, both um, okay. graphic people or uh, a friend of mine, Bernie Funston. We talked about his guitar making 
I spoke the other day with a with a writer who okay. uh, writes poetry. Uh, so each in their own way, they talk about losing themselves over to the creative process. What's that like for you? It's been a while since I've had a really good, deep connection, like having that one beautiful creative moment. So I'm out of practice where I was working more recently that wasn't part of the environment or part of the vibe. So that's mm. something that I'm looking now to getting myself back into in a more regular routine, a more regular practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, that idea of the creative moment, I think I sort of have maybe three or four steps that I go through. And it's it's not really like a, a standard process. But for me, it begins with what I call discovery or doing the research, understanding if I'm, if I'm working with a customer or a client, an organization, they have a problem, they're looking for a creative solution. I believe I need to understand, you know, who are they? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Why is their problem? What are they trying to resolve? And mm-hmm. do a lot of that discovery research work. And then from that, I'll start writing more questions. For me, doing design work is almost like... Um, peeling an onion you don't even really know what's at the center but you're just trying to find out what is that sweet spot what is the gem of the idea and then once you get it pretty confident about that understanding and appreciation then i'll do a lot of just ideation sketches creative doodling just to start the flow of getting the creative juices going doing more research doing more reading and then that's sort of a back and forth it's almost volleying back and forth Mm -hmm. between asking questions doing more development and as you're doing more development it then like i said it's going to prompt some more questions one that's going to have you now eliminating ideas or taking ideas out and having new ideas come in so there's a bit of back and forth creative judgment or problem judgment on it and then the letting go part is really not trying so much is just sitting down having a quiet space maybe there's some music on or something but you're just doing your sketching your drawing you're doing that creative output and making it um and just see what happens Mm -hmm. as you're talking what was coming up for me was a realization that there's almost there's creativity for the sake of your heart your soul your, your creative self and then there's creativity on behalf of a client who needs a service uh, an idea, a, a messages out there. Can both of them give you joy? Can can both of them reach help you reach that place of flow? Like, do you ever lose yourself in in that way? That's a really good question. Um, and I had never really thought of it this way before, but they're both the same for me. <sighs> so even though I'm working for a client. I'm almost, I, I see myself sort of as being a creative catalyst. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's for me, Phil Cole, but Phil Cole is the space or the energy or the instrument that's going to provide that creative manifestation, that creative output. This is why for me, this is why actually a lot of what we learned with Angie and Peter um, at the Big Stone House, the wholehearted experience, that whole learning and practice that we've done for years about really good listening and having presence by me being able to do that with customers and clients the better i can do that the better i'm actually 
almost a version of them. So it's not so much that Phil is actually designing for them. Phil is actually almost being them, or I'm I'm making decisions and values and judgments based on their input, their criteria. So for me, it's it's all the same. Whether it's, I'm creating for, um, you know, let's say it's a, a professional contract, or whether I'm just doing something creative for myself, it's the same energy. It's the same kind of process. There's maybe a little bit less pressure when I'm doing it for myself, but that's also another good thing about the flow. Mm. If I'm working for a customer and I'm trying to be creative, if I'm worried or nervous about any aspect of the relationship, the project, what I'm doing, it's going to cramp up the creative flow. Mm. So part of the flow is trying to be, that's what I'm saying. If I can just make it sort of my space that I'm just, yeah, being a catalyst to conduit for what's going to happen with creativity and trusting that and just letting go. Yeah. So be loose in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are both equally satisfying? I think so. The difference when you're doing it for yourself, it's interesting. When I was doing my own website, it was harder than doing a client's website. Because I, <laughs> yeah, who do I ask questions of? <laughs> oh, well, good question, I, I, Phil. I don't know the answer to that one, Phil. <laughs> it's like you have this schizoid thing going on inside, like you know. And I was, yeah. I mean, I'm, and you're. In, in, each of us are our own worst critics. Yeah. Sure. So uh, I would beat myself up. I'll fix this. Oh, changes. I might have redone certain pages or content five or six or seven times, or right. done it three times just to make it better and better. Just because I was trying to satisfy my own insecurity. Um, so in that way, I think probably working for a client's a little bit easier because most of the time <laughs> you have a schedule and a budget that you're working within as well. When oh, you're that doing helps your, to bound it, doesn't it? Yeah. It does in a way, yeah. When you're sort of doing your own work, eh. Yeah, there's always one more change to make it just a little bit more, one more polish, just a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. It's, right. It more becomes a little bit more like a piece of art. Like when is the last stroke? When is it finished? It's hard to mm-hmm. say when it's your own. Yeah, and then perfection becomes an enemy of 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 the good, right? Like this is good. This is good enough. I'm I'm. This says everything that I need it to say. It's fair what you say. Yeah, I I remember a good friend of mine that I worked with back in my Newbridge days. We were sort of like um, co-creators. Elizabeth was in charge of all the writing staff, and I was in charge of all the design staff. And so, mm-hmm. of course, every project we worked on, it might be a brochure, or a website, a getting ready for an annual report or a big event. They're sort of left hand, right hand working together. And I remember Elizabeth so many, many times would say, Phil, stop. You're being a perfectionist. Don't worry about it. This is good enough. So it was uh, another good part of learning about creativity that really isn't so much about being perfect. It's about looking for what's most appropriate. Ah, okay. What's most appropriate. So what, what meets their needs? Yeah, in the best possible that, that, way. Yeah, it, you see, that might have a contingent or um, a variable of cost or time. Um, it might have a variable that I've done a lot of international work, so you have to then think about different languages, different cultures, how they interpret things, how they experience things, how they might want to understand, and so sometimes you have to compromise on some detail or the length of something or the way it's delivered so that it has a more holistic um, delivery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A universal appeal. Yep. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. 
And then meeting that client need in a, in a way that's just right for them can be quite satisfying. Yeah. I, I, that's the thing I think I really like about what I do is that when I can, I know when a project's going to be successful, when the creativity is going to work, when I've got a really good, for me, it's a lot about relationship. It's about people. It's about trust. It's about learning how to talk to each other, understand each other. There's a lot of authenticity and, and sincere exchange that makes the success of a creative project. I was helping a, a team that was working on a new piece of what we call software as a solution. So it's an online tool that allows their clients to build catalogs and stores and to buy and sell and trade and buy in auto parts. Mm -hmm. But it was so cool because when I was working with this client, I could just I'd known him for 20 minutes. I could just tell, like, oh, we're going to be best friends. Like, this is going to be <laughs> so much fun. And it was even really cool because when we were making some of the very, very first, when we were doing their website design, we've maybe made three or four different variations, what we call sort of creative approaches. We usually go in with more than one just to show a bit of variety and allows us to get better feedback and direction from the client themselves. And we weren't even finished the first one. It's like, ah, that's it. You've nailed it. I was thinking about this for my event, how it was going to be all white and this and that. And the way he was describing his thoughts and his creative wanderings about what his event display might look like. It was like, oh, wow, we just basically made a website that looks like what he was describing. It was really curious. <laughs> yeah. So that's where we, we come into listening from presence, right? So you're, you're picking up on those, those unspoken messages that, that, give you a flavor, an intuitive flavor of what would work for them better than any, um, you know, clearly articulated direction, but mm -hmm. rather this, this sensation, this feeling. Yeah. There's that, there's tone, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm talking to someone, I'm, my radar is going to be like, Oh, is this a nervous person? Is this a really aggressive person? Is this a friendly person? Is this a serious person? Mm -hmm. Just kind of what kind of body language and values do I pick up from that? Because a lot of what I'm doing in the, in the world of branding and corporate identity, it's really based fundamentally on the values, the values of the organization. Well, most organizations are made up of a group of people. So it begins with the values of those people. What are the five, what are the five or seven, what are the five or seven things which that they're necessarily, most yeah. focused on? Yes. So it's not, it's not necessarily what they have stated on their website as their values are, but rather no. what are the functional values of the people as they, you know, do their peopling within the organization, right? That's part of a lot of what I like to work yeah. on. I actually, the business I'm working with, it's called Creating Now. But what I do is that what I really talk about is true identity is sort of a bit of a play on words that I use to try to make this, to differentiate what I do in the way that I execute the projects that I deliver. Because there's hundreds and hundreds of Fiverr and 99design mm -hmm. logo people. You can get a logo for 35 bucks if you want something really yeah. quick and dirty. Mm -hmm. What I my expertise is sort of finding that wholehearted space and creative space and relationship space and bringing the three together to get some really, really cool creative executions. Mm -hmm. So when we talked a few minutes ago about the values, you're right. There's many times organizations have the placard on the wall spelling out their five or six values. Yeah. 
And then you might go have a conversation or meeting with the leadership of the company and they don't seem to be personally expressing or living those values. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that could be because the company's really, really large. And so the values tend to be more general. Mm -hmm. um, it could be that because the company's really large and been around for many years, the people now running the company weren't the founding fathers that might have behaved differently than the mm -hmm. people who are running the company today. Mm -hmm. But what I like about working with sort of small and medium-sized businesses is typically the president, the CEO, the CEO, these people, the three or four people that lead the company are the ones that are the values. So it finds there's a lot more sincerity and truth behind who they are, the way they behave and what they do. Mm -hmm. I find sometimes there's a disconnect between the values and the life, you know? Like, mm -hmm. what does it actually mean to live the values? I, uh, an example, um, I don't have an articulated value around, um, around who I get my graphics work from, but right. I do have an articulated value around integrity. And so when it came to find a, uh, a logo for this company, Chapman Coaching, uh, when I uh, incorporated, I wanted something fresh and new. Um. I went to a woman that I had volunteered with at the mm -hmm. Y, uh, mm -hmm. at the local YMCA. She did the graphics for the uh, Y Women of Distinction Awards, and I looked after communications. Nice. And I paid her. We had conversations around. She understood who I was, and she created well. She created the 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 artwork for this podcast, Meanderings with Trudy. Um, Emily Chen is her name. And then when it came. Uh, I was working with uh, another coach to create a, a learning company. We needed a new logo. Um, the possibility was raised to go to a Fiverr or whatever and pay 35 bucks and get something. Uh, and the whole thing of it didn't feel right. You know, like I, I, I take my work to Emily because she's local, because mm -hmm. I know her, because she mm -hmm. knows me. Mm -hmm. um, she's... Uh, Way back when my kids were young, I was a freelance writer. And so I split my days between nap time and changing diapers and writing for clients. Uh, and that's what Emily's been doing. She's homeschooling her kids. They're now, I guess, one is 11 and the younger one is six, something like that. Okay. So she lives all these things that I have lived. And she has the same sort of values around um furthering her own self and her own company, but also within the context of her family and prioritizing time with that. Mm -hmm. I would much rather pay her for her time because of all the things that I know that she is and does. Exactly. And Fiverr doesn't do that for me. And so while no. I don't have a specific value around paying for service, I do have something around integrity. And what does that mean when I'm walking in the world? Well, this is what it actually plays out as. And what I find sometimes with companies that I am coaching in, the values that are articulated um, for whatever reason, people don't know actually what they mean in the day-to-day -day of their work. Yeah. And that that's pretty hard when you're when you're providing a service like what you're doing, where you're having a visual representation of some of those things. If there's a disconnect between the words on the wall and the behavior in the person or the heart in the person, heart of the person, that's mm. hard. Fair point and true. Thanks for joining me here on Meanderings with Trudy as I chat with my friend, Philip Cole. 
integrity, values, how they play out in our workplace. I just think it's so interesting to have this chat, and I'm so grateful that Phil's here with me today. So stick with us as we continue on with our meander. One thing that I would then offer that, again, it's part of what I used to do in my old life when I used to lead branding for huge international corporations. But there would be as part of us working, let's say, on a logo package, and we've got values, we've got mission statements, vision statements. I would tell everyone I worked with, including all my bosses, that their money was far better spent educating and leading employees about the power of the brand and what it meant, how it was delivered, and what its successes were, mm. than spending more money than that on advertising to convince the market. If you've got hundreds and thousands of employees that love to go to work and when they're out at the bar, they're bragging to all their friends about all the cool things that they're doing and why they're doing mm. it, it's the best free advertisement in the world. In fact, it's more powerful than advertising because everyone, this is now a true, honest um, expression yeah. of the life of that company. Mm-hmm. And so when you said earlier about you know the people that you had worked with in the past, maybe not living the values, I would suspect that the reason that's so is that they just the company hasn't done a better job of having people understand and appreciate how to live the values. Mm-hmm. You can't just put them on a piece of paper and stick it on the wall. You have to actually used to belong to, that was one of the best things about being in, in the big high tech companies that we actually had leadership, human development, human management development programs where we'd go once a, once a week, every two or three weeks where we would just learn about how do we communicate? How do we talk to people? How do we have them learn and grow and become part of a whole brand expression? Mm. I think a lot of companies don't even know that exists or how important that is. It's more true of large companies or smaller companies. They sort of live their game every single day and it rubs off on other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you've got really big companies, it's it's valuable to yeah. look at ways of having everyone appreciate, understand the nuance, the DNA, the the um, the mechanics and how it all works and why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they become ambassadors of that brand or of that company. Exactly, well said. Yeah, it's a good word. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and and especially in a small and medium sized company where they often uh, live and work in the community that they serve can be. Yeah. Um, all the more important that they are ambassadors for their brand, right? It's true. Yeah, it's true, and that's when you've got so much more strength and power with your organization as well when you can do that. Yeah, yeah. So you're um, you finished up with one one big gig and you now mm-hmm. find yourself facing a little bit of uncertainty. I'm, I'm interested in how that affects flow and, and what, what that's like for you now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there freedom there? Like, can you feel the spaciousness oh, yeah. of it? Okay. And, so yeah. yeah. So, so freedom, freedom is a really cool thing. I, I remember the day that I was let go. I had, sincerely been a little bit unhappy there for about three or four months before and i was joking with myself i was like oh, okay do i write my resignation letter today so the day that i got let go i was like oh bonus thank you i guess i shouldn't <laughs> smile too much right now it was a pretty happy yeah. moment yeah. Um, do you think they knew that you were ready to leave i think they just i think when we talked about it there was just a sort of this common understanding and appreciation for mm-hmm. 
what was the role, what wasn't the role, mm. what were we trying to achieve? And I believe the company is, it's a younger organization. And so, and it's led by a lot of young people. I was basically like their father. <laughs> so, yeah. so there's, there's a bit of a generational gap there that I think might've been a bit challenging, Yeah. but I think too, that there was just some of the expectations and some of the, what's the right word? I guess expectations, objectives mm-hmm. um, of what they were hoping to do and be and become when I was hired had changed and things yeah. were different and there was a new way of working. And that's fair. That happens for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. There's a new way of working every single day. So mm-hmm. I think it was just, it's it's like any relationship too, you know, things change, mm-hmm. whether it's a personal relationship, a marital relationship, a job relationship, a friend relationship. Mm-hmm things come up, things change. And so I think that was just really what I saw as being a change in that relationship schema. So yes, mm-hmm. now I have a lot more free time. Um, mm-hmm. So flow, it's interesting when you ask me that question, how is flow different? Because to me, there's sort of, it's like I have different flow paths. Mm-hmm. There's a workflow path, like the creativity designer workflow mm-hmm. path. Mm-hmm. There is a full, just a guy waking up flow path. What am I going to do today? Mm-hmm. You know, there's even a laundry or house working flow path, which <laughs> yeah. doesn't so, usually flow that well. <laughs> I know. I know. I cleaned one bathroom today. I, I I have intention to clean all three, but I have not got there. Yeah. But some yeah. days it's like I just put on some music and I have it done in an hour. No big deal. You know, yeah, but I yeah. Had that, I had that moment. I walked down the hall from my bedroom and the laundry's down the hall, but yeah, there's like three and a half baskets, some clean, some dirty, some folded, some yeah. not. It just like it's a bomb of laundry went off. It's like, okay, I think I'll work on that before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, so there's a bunch of different kinds of flow that we're talking about here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for my for my workflow, I started to what I'm working on there is making a conscious aware effort of going back to my own, I had been run my own business before I had joined that last firm. Mm-hmm. So it's about, it's changing headspace and changing gear and getting, it's almost like moving back to an older house or an older time. Mm-hmm. So reacquainting myself with what I was doing, like I said, looking at my website, making mm-hmm. changes, making some updates because mm-hmm. there's some new work there. Even some things that I've learned in the last year and a half have influence on how that website looks. Mm-hmm. So there's the flow of getting my rhythm back for my professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also find, which is really fascinating, and I don't know the answer, and maybe this is part of where I'm more in flow personally, I just find from my own spiritual thinking, practice, learning, understanding over the last, I'd say it's about 15 years, because I was just starting to, I had found an author, oh, Robin Sharma was his name. Okay. Yeah, Um, yeah. Uh, The the, monk who sold his Ferrari? His Ferrari, exactly. Okay. So I was starting reading on that and this whole idea of just consciousness and awareness was being touched to me. More recently, probably about four years ago, I got into a really, I found this really, really cool author for me. His name is Rupert Spira. Mm-hmm. Um, he's British born, but he's taken Advanta training and a lot of training from gurus and more of an Eastern practice thinking mm-hmm. um, about what happens there. So where I found myself in my personal life right now is part of me is just like, okay, oh, and Eckhart Tolle is another good friend of mine. Um, always, always, there's only ever now. 
Yeah. So the whole idea, I'm getting really good at overcoming fear and shame and guilt because fear only happens in the future. Fear doesn't happen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and guilt and shame are things that come up from the past. Mm-hmm. Sorry, let's del- delve into that just for a second. Why okay. does fear not happen in the now? Because of what I'm doing right now, I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, will, I'm, will I'm handling I have a, whatever might have given me yeah. fear a few minutes ago. Yeah. But now you know, I'm, I'm fear, in it. Fear, fear, you know, fear of lack. Am I going to have enough? Am I enough? Uh, fear that someone might misunderstand me. Mm-hmm. There is this forward thinking expectation or mm-hmm. judgment of what could or couldn't be. At least that's the way it works for me. Maybe I don't have that same kind of present fear thing i think present fear is things like uh that dog is gonna bite me mm-hmm. then yeah that's but even that still could... that's still a momentary like in, in a few seconds it, it's in a future the dog's exactly. running to me and i think it's gonna bite me it still hasn't happened yet exactly right and and yeah. i can't fear the past because the past has already happened it, it's nothing's coming to me from the past exactly um it so, yeah, already it has this, happened this... <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So that was my read. Someone, someone, I don't remember what it was, but it was a person who's been around hundreds of years who was really smart about all these things and good life experience said that the two ways to overcome fear, and let me see if I can remember them both. Oh, got it. They both begin with T. Without time and without thinking, Mm -hmm. there is no fear. Right. And so it's thinking about at this time or at this future, Anticipating. at this point, mm. there, there, there is an element of time that it's pinned to or tied to or conditional to. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the thinking about that point in time and that thing that might or might not happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can manage the time and manage the thinking, mm-hmm. fear doesn't much sense of success. Right. Which is why when we come into the now, when we are being, yeah. fear is not present. So this this sort of coming around full circle then to the mm-hmm. question you asked me a few minutes ago, my flows. So my workflow state has me doing all the things I would always have done in my whole life experience. I'm behaving and doing a lot of the same things I did before, I'm trying to bring a more fresh outlook or maybe even more open outlook just to be less of a perfectionist and less judgmental, just to be more relaxed and to find better flow in what I'm doing about my work. Mm-hmm. And the personal me is like, Fuck it all. Maybe I don't even work anymore. There's only <laughs> now. Um, maybe I should just buy a ticket and go to Iceland, meet some people in Iceland and see what happens. And then maybe I get a brand new life and a brand new job and something happens. So there's part of me that feels a bit like um, a 17, 18 year old again. It's yeah. like, I don't give a fuck. I'm sorry. I don't care anymore. <laughs> well, I, you know, what's coming up for me, though, is, as you're talking, though, is trust and confidence like at this point i mean phil without without spilling the beans how old are you now like i'm 54 i just turned 60 this year okay so we're of that sort of age where mm-hmm. and and people who've turned 50 i think 50 is that is that for most of us it's that turning point where you begin to have had enough experiences to have confidence in what you do yeah and have experienced life again enough to trust that, particularly as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's been self-employed for 31 years, um, 32 years, uh, trust that 
there will be more. There yeah. will be other opportunities. There will be things that will come my way that will intrigue me. And at this point, at now, right now, I want interesting work. Yeah. I want stuff that captivates my mind. I want things to have meaning. I, I know what I want. And I yes. have no problem saying no when an opportunity comes and it's not right for me because it doesn't hit yeah, nice. those things. Yeah. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And I think this is what I'm hearing from you. Like, you know, screw it. Yeah. Let's just go to Iceland and have some fun. And who knows what who knows what that could, you know. Well, yeah, and I'm to. not trying to be not to be a drag or morbid, but any of us could get sick or die tomorrow, something could happen. So the mm -hmm. life I'm experiencing is enjoying and feeling right now. Mm -hmm. Why not enjoy it right now? Why mm -hmm. So many people work their whole life, work their whole life to retire and then die two weeks later. It's like, come on, mm -hmm. enjoy some life. It's not about, life isn't about working. Life should be about life. Yeah, it's about living. Yeah. I like what you said about being 50, though, and how that changed for you. Because I remember when I turned 50, I remember so many people were like, oh, that's when you're old. And I thought, man, mm -hmm. at my 50th birthday, I said to people, I'm 25 for the second time. This feels great. <laughs> but I know a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's that's what's, that's where I think wisdom comes in, right? Yeah. Well, it, it can begin, right? It's sown some yeah. seeds and you're beginning to see the sprouts of it, you know? Um, uh, speaking as a woman, 50 is, is hard because you start getting yeah. into the whole, uh, all of your, your own body changes and, and you're like, you're yeah. like... Um, Oh, I was going to say it's, it's, well, it pisses, it's a big transformation. it pisses you off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's not, my forties were great. There was so much more freedom and, and I had a sense of confidence and, and capacity capability that I, I was, I was taking in stride and comfortable with. And right. now in some ways, um, depending on, on where I'm at, I can feel like the whole, the rug's been pulled out from underneath me, you know, like the, the, the hormones go crazy for a second. And, and I literally do, I could just, I could, I could just, you know, s break all my relationships and not care, you know, in that moment. And then, you know, a little while later go, oh, maybe that wasn't the best thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you know, that impetuousness that, that comes from, from those, those truly physical changes and i'm i'm looking forward to 60 when i'm hoping that these things sort of balance themselves out a little bit because it's taking at this point in time all of my um all of my coping mechanisms to keep my boat afloat to keep my boat in balance you know if i don't get my meditation done for it's only 15 minutes uh for a day or two i am really grumpy really really not a nice person and, and, you know, those practices that I've been honing for all these years, um, which I never thought, you know, I knew that they helped, but I didn't really know how much they helped. And now I say, holy mackerel, if I don't get out for my walk in the forest, that's a big deal. The hot tub died. Well, it didn't die. It had sprung a leak and we need to replace yeah. some piping and it was too cold. So we turned it off and we're going to, you know, get it going again in the spring. But as you know, that's that's my happy place. I spend every morning yeah. meditating in there. I do my physio exercises. I listen to the birds. I feel the wind. I look at the sky and see the clouds. Like it is all part of nurturing my soul, my inside. Yeah. Oh my God, the fall was awful when that when that thing broke. It was so hard to find my way again, and yeah. and I was like, okay, you know, typical positive outlook, right? It's like, well, this is okay. This is a great opportunity to practice 
uh, some agility and finding another way to, you know, and, and part of me goes, well, fuck that. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to be your own yeah. best friend on this one, right? Talk yourself oh, through it. Yeah, well, as a coach, it's like, well, I should, I should. <laughs> I thought that yeah. I had disbanded the word should a long time ago. But I should all, have this in should. hand. Absolutely. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's like, where where am I right now? Well, right now, I'm I'm not fit for public consumption. <laughs> <laughs> so what do I do? Right. And it's, it's those muscles that we have developed through time of where am I right now? And therefore, what do I need? And how do I tend to that? And I think that that's all part and parcel of this confidence and trust that we begin to develop as a result of, you know, having a few years under the belt. Yeah. Interesting. You just said something I'd like to share with you that just had a really interesting hit with me. You, we started this bit of the conversation about flow and two different tracks of flow. Mm-hmm. I talked about my professional flow and where I was headed with my personal flow. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking about yourself, um, where you are, what you're going through, some of your life experiences, how you find life changing and how your vibe, your energy is changing as you're getting older. Mm-hmm. You said a minute ago, when you're talking about the hot tub breaking down and you had to change some of your daily practices that were giving you a lot of wellness. Mm -hmm. You said to yourself, I should, I should stop doing that. I thought I taught myself not to say I should, I should. Mm -hmm. But then I wrote down myself because for me, I have the same two words, but they're in the opposite order. Should I? Should I? Mm. Should I screw my job? Should I go to Iceland? This is sort of, and it's not, it doesn't feel like uncertainty with a capital U. It almost like there's this, it's like a test of trust of myself. Am I going to do what feels right to me? Yeah. There's a spaciousness that comes from that, though, that I should, as opposed to, sh- like, there's a judgment. Whenever I hear the word should, yeah. it's almost always a judgment. I should yeah. have been nicer. I should be able to um, move from meditating in the hot tub to you know, right. meditating in my office, and that should be fine. There's always a, an implicit judgment in that. But mm-hmm. should I opens up the possibility of, and and for me, you know, it feels spacious, and it feels hopeful. It's an invitation. It is. The other one's a, the other one's a criticism. Yes. Should I is an invitation. Yeah. I should is a criticism yes. or a judgment. Yeah, I should have blah, blah, blah. Should I go to Iceland and just... Yeah you know, follow my whimsy, right? Which is really what exactly. that is. I'm just going to go and have a tour around and, you know, let let uh, let things unfold the way that they're going to unfold. Well, it, it's true. It is sort of maybe part of my spiritual pilgrimage, but I also found out I don't know the laws or the history or the protocol for these things, mm-hmm. but my mother was adopted. Um, she found out... It was less than 10 years ago. Let's say hypothetically eight, seven years ago. She actually found out who her birth mother was. They don't mm-hmm. usually give a lot of this information out to people, or maybe they're more liberal with that information when you get to be a certain age, or mm-hmm. maybe it's a new protocol. Anyways, she found out who her birth mother was. Mm-hmm. Oh, and isn't it interesting? Part of Phil always wanted to go to Iceland. Phil's blood grandmother is from Iceland. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. I Isn't love that it. bizarre? It is. Uh, and some of my most favorite music comes from Iceland too. There's a band called Sigurós that my kids introduced me to about 14 years ago, and it's like rock meets hymns. It to me, it's like it's so beautiful. It's really mm-hmm. kind of cool. And then there's that whole idea of the geography and just being mm-hmm. surrounded by water. I'm like, okay. So I was looking up, doing more research. I think I'm going to buy that ticket in the next two weeks and just do it. That's what yeah. my kids keep saying. It's like, Dad, just, stop just talking go, about Dad. it. Just buy, the, just buy the ticket. And then <laughs> yeah, because you know you've got a space of time where you're not doing anything that you could yeah. and why not? And yeah. 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 Just Very buy the cool. ticket, commit, just do it. You know, I, I have heard not your story, but your story uh, okay. in, in a similar way before where uh, um, my, my former father-in-law, uh, was always drawn to klezmer music, okay. and he taught himself to speak Yiddish and Hebrew. Um, he was a bit of a bit of what do you call it a polyglot who can like learn a whole bunch of languages. And so he's he was an anesthetist. And so whenever anybody would come in, if they were Portuguese, he always had a few words in Portuguese. If they were Italian, nice. he could do that. He you know all of this stuff. He was not aware of his Jewish ancestry until. Uh, you know, he was in his forties. Wow. Yeah, mid forties, and he felt robbed of his heritage. Mm. Um, was really upset at his father for not telling him, you know, who he was, because he felt he felt that real affinity for all these things that he did right. not cultural that he did not understand. Why? Why do I feel? Why am I drawn there? Why do I feel this? And uh, you know who who knows who knows how yeah. these these genealogical energies play themselves out, but they do. Yeah. And uh, you know, buy the ticket, go to Iceland, have some fun. The, po- the power of DNA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> yeah, whimsy. Yeah, good for you. So. Is there is there anything more that you'd like to share with us about uh, about flow and how it how it augments your joy? I guess some of the things I've learned about flow. I've um, I'm father of three kids. I've just been through a lot, and I'm not special. Lots and lots and lots of people have had really really big traumatic experiences. Probably many have worse than myself. But I find that to go back to what we were just saying about getting older and the idea of experience and what I'd like to now consider a bit of wisdom. That's also part of flow that I just enjoy. So case in point, um, my second oldest recently married a wonderful man in Canada. Um, they got married back in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had been dating being living together for about maybe three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, Nate, her husband, is originally born in Australia, but had come to Canada doing a a travel work program. Mm -hmm. And they met at a camp that they worked with for sick kids, for the oncology children. I think it was called Camp Ooch. But what I was going to say about Flo is that, it's like, okay, they got married. Okay, this means, I'm saying this to myself, I know it as experience. Okay, Misha's going to be going to Australia. Mm -hmm. I had the experience because she'd already been to college years ago in BC. So being able to let go mm-hmm. and find our own life and be in BC and not be half an hour, an hour, four hour drive away. 
four-hour plane ride away. Mm-hmm. I just had this understanding of flow. It's like, okay, this is her life. This is what's happening. This is what's happened. And yeah, you're going to go to Australia. It is For me, being at flow there was being aware and recognizing the situation but it also it's not about me it was about her it was about her situation it was about her life and just opening to that flow and being part of her life and letting it make and just waiting to see how much fun and great things happen to her and the stories that she's going to tell just mm-hmm. i think for me i guess what i just realized there i didn't know that before but for me that part of that flow is that whole letting go and not making it about me or not making it a personal thing but being open to it all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love that it's a, it's a parent struggle though, isn't it? I don't find it a struggle anymore. It used to be. I'm, I, I, that's one of my proudest moments. I think what I've done being born on this planet, I think I've got the three best kids on the planet right now. So mm-hmm. um, I don't really worry too much about my job or my next job or the kind of house I live in or all those things. I think if I did one thing right, I raised three really good souls on this planet. So nice. to enjoy and watch them grow up and share their lives with them, that's the best treat. Nice. Agreed. Well done, Dad. Thank you. <laughs> well, maybe we'll leave it there then. So we've had Sounds a good we've had a good chat around all of this flow and joy and how that shows up for you. And I really appreciate you sharing your heart this way. This is this is such a pleasure. So thank you. It was great to visit. I learned a couple new things again today, so there was good flow in our conversation today. Thank you. (laughs) You bet. All right, you take care. (laughs) So, what a great meander. Thanks for joining me again here at Meanderings with Trudy. I hope you'll come again uh, when we talk about all things joy, including Enneagram and grief and all of these goodies that we have packed in. If you have any comments, please send me a note at meanderingswithtrudy at gmail.com. And uh, again, please drop us a review, a few stars, and uh, talk us up a bit to try and raise our profile. Thanks very much again for joining me. I'm Trudy Chapman. <laughs>